Thank you very much. You may be seated. It is an honor. And Brother White, I am honored to have several, Brother Rogers, Brother White, Brother Reagan, have all pastored wonderful churches. Come ahead, Brother White. And uh, my father here and um, been great men of influence that have, as Brother David said, chosen as for me and my house. And what a powerful examples we have. So, Brother White, great to have you here. Let's give him a hand. Thank you. Well, praise the Lord, everyone. Lord. Happy Father's Day. Amen. Now, not only Father's Day, this is summer solstice also. In case you didn't realize that, this is the longest day of the year. So you've got plenty of time to honor your father. Your uncle, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, honor them all. Amen. On this great day. Praise God. I want to thank Brother Tom Rogers, too, just for a minute for the Wednesday night service. He started my Father's Day. When he talked about his dad and him going fishing at Hoover Dam, I just sat there and just sort of melded. Because Dad and I used to fish at Hoover Dam all the time. We'd go and we'd fish on, off the high wall and uh, he had a boat. But I really appreciate just bringing up the memories of, of my childhood there. Amen. One time Dad threw me the keys to the car. He said, you're going to drive. We'd go on in the morning early and had the boat and had it hooked on the back. I said, I've never driven, or driven with a boat on the back. He says, time you learn. So we went up and stopped at uh, Hoover Dam, and he said, just back it into the water. I don't know how many here realize the way a boat trailer can go <laughs> besides in the water. We want it to go straight, but more than likely it went left or right. Amen. And I tried. God knows I tried. Amen. And Dad was very patient, and he finally came up and I rolled down the window, and he said, get out, let me show you how it's done. <laughs> Amen. He backed the thing in like there was no trouble at all. But I'll tell you what, I appreciate Brother Rogers bringing that out because I lived with my dad all week. Amen. The different things. Amen. Men sometimes get the short end of the stick. Uh, sometimes people, you know, rail on them a little bit. And I got to looking up, and Mark Twain did the same thing. When he was 14 years old, all right, just a boy, he said, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But then, when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man learned in seven years. <laughs> so, men, there's hope for us yet. Amen. So, so you know, I, I wanted to be look, uh, look into the word of the Lord. I want to uh, find some characteristics of a good father. I can look many ways, get on the internet and all that, but I chose to look into the Word of God. Went into the New Testament, so when I was looking for the characteristics of a good father, I looked in the book and I found a man. He was a father who was very often overlooked. Do we ever feel like we're overlooked sometimes? Talking about the men there. Sometimes we just feel like maybe we don't get what we deserve 
or maybe we do, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, this man was often overshadowed by the prominence given his wife. All right, somebody said, behind a good man is always a good woman. Amen. So as I looked at this, uh, I want to be talking about Joseph just for a couple of minutes this morning. The husband of Mary and the adopted father of Jesus. He sets an example for us. And you know, I don't know whether you've ever tried to study that or not, but I'll tell you, I did. And I found some all sorts of amazing things. You know, talking about Joseph, the husband of Mary, the adopted father of Jesus. All right? God chose Mary, all right, to give birth to the Son of God. But I also believe that he chose Joseph. He chose Joseph to be the father to Jesus to raise him into manhood. I don't think it was an accident. I believe it was chosen by God. So Mary and Joseph were chosen together to be parents. All right? There's no need for a man to be involved in the conception, but a man was still needed to fill the role of a father in Jesus' childhood. Amen. And I looked at that and I was really inspired. I believe it's an inspiring model of fatherhood that Joseph was. So I'm going to read some scripture and you think, well, you know, on Father's Day, on Father's Day. In Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, all right, the Bible calls him a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take thee Mary for thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the, of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Just a short story, you know. And we look at that, and many times we don't connect that with fatherhood. All right, we don't know a lot about Joseph, but I want to look in the Bible just briefly to see what he was. The Bible said he was a lovely, loving man. Verses 18 and 19 of those scriptures tells us he could have divorced her, exposed her to public shame and humiliation, and he had the right to do so. You begin to read history, and he had a right to put her away, all right, to tell people what had happened, and she would be stoned. But he was a loving person. Joseph was operating from vengeance or bitterness from heart, and he loved Mary that was based on real commitment. Real commitment. Most important thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. Amen. But here we find Joseph, there was no resentment or indifference towards Jesus. No lack of love at all. You know, he didn't say, well, he's not my son. 
I'll just go through the motion. But he did more. Joseph adopted Jesus as his own, protected him from the hatred of Herod, nurtured and cared for him as his own, and taught Jesus his own trade of carpentry. This man did a lot for Jesus. I want you to know he adopted the one the rest of the world would reject. I got a lot out of Matthew reading these scriptures. But he adopted the one the rest of the world would reject. Joseph was a devout man, one who obeyed God. God told him to marry Mary, and he did. He said, flee Egypt for safety. And he listened, and he did what he was told. Amen. He listened, and that's what fathers need to do, is listen to God in raising their family. Joseph was a man of faith, and this is something that I never considered before. But like Abram, he went to a foreign country. He went to Egypt, never been there before, no prospects, no planning, simply on the basis that God said to do it. Amen. Many times we don't understand what God tells us to do in our families. But I'll tell you what, it's always best to listen to God. Fathers, this morning, you know, if you'll just have the faith that Joseph had. Joseph was faithful in spiritual duties. He did everything. He set an example for family, uh, regular church service. Somebody said one time, you, you, bring your, you need to bring your kids, not send them. All right. Uh, that's from an old pastor that I had one time. Finally, Joseph was a wise man. He redeemed the time, and by all accounts that I can find, he lived a very short life. Not mentioned after Jesus' childhood, but he provided for his family. He provided for his family, set an example for them that they would remember. He raised them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. He left behind a legacy after his lifetime. I want to leave a legacy. How about you? Amen. This man of Joseph inspired me. It really did. I'm sure he wasn't perfect, but he was devoted, and he was doing the very best that he could. He redeemed a time. We need to do the same. Can we do less than what he did? Please let us be challenged together today to raise our kids in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. God's so good to us, and he'll never let us down. Amen. I want to live the life like Joseph lived. God bless you this morning. Glory. What a great word. Amen. Amen. And uh, Brother Jim, well, let, let me, Brother Wide read that verse. And let me just draw your attention to it. It's a great, great verse. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. You know what the angel was basically saying? Stop dating her and marry her. 
That's a good word for all of us today. We have a lot of people that date the church. These men know what it is to marry a church. As has already been mentioned, Brother Rogers, and some of these men, they have given their lives to do what they can for the family of God. That's commitment. That's not just dating and saying, okay, I'll come on Sunday. I can give a little bit. I'll take you out once a week. It's what, what can I do? What can I do? And Brother Jim Hoskinson is one that has married the church. He goes off. We called him a snowbird the first few years I was here. But this year, his family said, no, you got to stay home. And I was so thankful. Oh, yeah. Let's give Brother Jim a hand. Yeah, yeah, he was real thankful. <laughs> Brother White and uh, Brother Rogers told uh, fish stories about how their dad took them fishing. I got a fish story also, my dad. Uh, fairly young man, probably seven, eight, nine years old. I don't remember now, but uh, said, let's go fishing, okay. Well, we went to Buckeye Lake, put the boat in, and I had a cane pole and I dropped it in the water and the end went in the water. And I did this and I did that. I piddled around and I fiddled around and pretty soon my dad rode back to the shore, put the boat on the trailer and went home. He said, I don't think you want to fish. <laughs> and that was the end of my fishing. I haven't wet a line since. <laughs> so my dad, he was, a, he was a good, good Christian man. Uh, I think from the time he was baptized and received the Holy Ghost, uh, 1937 till he passed away in uh, 83 he was faithful uh, he was faithful to God he was faithful to church he was faithful in giving he was a hard worker and he was honest uh, he was very faithful to do what uh, needed to be done around church. He worked around church a good bit. Some of the old timers here may remember uh, when, they, when we built this church, uh, he worked probably every day, I think, for a year, however long it took to, to build it. I forget now what it was. I think that was 75 or 76. And he also helped build the church next door uh, 1958 and brother Newstrand brother DL go to the campground help us work down there so down to the campground he'd go brother Fowler he'd help brother Fowler he worked around the church and he was uh, very very generous uh, he paid his tithes I know that because as, as a young man uh, I remember seeing tithe offerings, uh, envelopes on the dresser, on the kitchen table or whatever. So from the time I was a young man, I knew that he was, he was a tithe payer and uh, very, very generous. He was a hard worker. As uh, my sisters all attest, 
When we were young, we lived on a farm, had a hundred acres, and he also worked 50 hours a week at the phone company. So now that's hard work to, to uh, try to take care of a hundred acres. Uh, and he taught me to work. I think it was seven or eight years old, maybe. Said, uh, it's time for you to start milking. We had two cows. We milked by hand. So I had to learn to milk when I was that young. But my prize was he let me keep the cream that we took off of the milk. I could sell that for 50 cents or a dollar or whatever it was. But he did. He, he taught us to work. I was 16, ready to buy a car. I had to have a car. I was 16 years old, ready to go. But I'd been working for farmers during the summers, trying to save a little money. I said, Dad, I, I want a car. He said, well, you're going to have to buy it yourself because I can't afford to buy a car for you. So I scraped up $80. I bought a 1939 Ford two-door sedan. Boy, I was proud of that car. I got it home, found out it didn't have a heater, didn't have a radio, didn't have turn signals. I don't know whether you remember in the old days when you wanted to turn left, stick your hand out the window and go like this. If you, or right, I'm sorry, right. If you wanted to turn right, you go this way. If you wanted to turn left, you just put your hand out this way. If you wanted to slow down, you put your hand out and just kind of hung it down like this. Now you young kids don't, can't remember that, but uh, yeah, that's it. But he was also an honest man. Uh, he was elected uh, commissioner county commissioner in 1960 and uh, between 1960 and 1964 which was a time of re-election those four years he had uh, many people come to him and say uh, hey give you give you a little something if I can get that contract for such and so no no one man said, you know what? He said, if I get that contract, I can help you win the election. He said, and if I don't get the contract, I can help you get defeated. <laughs> Guess what? He got defeated. But you know what? He, he, did, he lost the election, but he didn't lose his integrity. Right. He didn't lose his honesty. He didn't lose his peace of mind. He didn't lose the Holy Ghost. And God blessed him for almost another 20 years before he passed away. So it, uh, it's a good thing if we're faithful, if we work hard, and if we're honest. God bless you. And as I said, we have several men that are, have exemplified not 
dating the church that are married to this and committed and I appreciate all of those. Brother Reagan is another fine example and I appreciate Brother Reagan and uh, he has battled with some COPD but he's able to be here today and gonna come. Let's give Brother Reagan a hand. I want to say I'm very, very, very thankful for this church and your prayers and how you have felt me. Many times we've called the pastor and I was in a serious situation and I'm thankful for a pastor knows how to pray. Amen. Thank God. I'd like to speak to you a little bit this morning on the greatest gift a father can give is a life lived for Jesus. A songwriter wrote that and I truly believe it. Uh, I'd like to turn to Hosea chapter 7 and verse 8. Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. And then I'd like to read from Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 2. That Sunballot and Grisham, or Gisham sent unto me saying, Come, let us meet together in the, one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do mischief. And I said, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come. Why should the work cease? I want to say that my father lived a life that taught me that the greatest thing you can give is a life lived for Jesus. Amen. And the circumstances whereby I came, became a father, I'd like to share with you this morning, just a testimony. I believe that the calling is more important than the, your feelings or more, and more important than the devil's fight that he's going to do against you. I was sure that God had talked to me, told me I should marry Sharon Hughes, and unbeknownst to me, she said that God told her when I was at Wisconsin camp saying that I was to be her husband. And I asked her to marry me at ABI at the girls' dorm. I knew Sister Lehman, Brother White's grandmother, and she was the dorm supervisor, and she allowed me to propose to my wife. And the, then we both decided that we were supposed to be evangelists. And I called her father, and he says, you're going to marry my daughter, but do you, how are you going to support her? And I said, I'm going to be an evangelist. He said, you got any meetings? I said, no. He said, do you have a car? I said, no. <laughs> he said, you make your bed, you're going to have to lay in it. <laughs> and it was, it seems unusual, the circumstances, but we did. I, right after we were married, we went evangelizing. My father bought another car and gave me his old Ford and went to Pennsylvania, a friend of his that, Got our first revival, and we were traveling two, at least two years. And in the summertime, when the window revival, we worked at Buckeye Lake Campground, both of us. And one day, Sharon was, she said, I could tell she was very unhappy. She said, We just got married, and we go in preachers' home, and we're preaching and singing every night except Monday. And she was just frustrated, you know. And so I started praying, and I talked to a pastor, and he said, you go to the conference, and God will give you direction. So I went to the conference. I didn't hear anything from God, but when I was driving home, all of a sudden, 
felt the Holy Ghost all over me and God said, you are to go to Delaware, Ohio. I told my wife, she was wondering what was wrong and I said, supposed to go to Delaware. She said, John, that's crazy. <laughs> There's already a church there. There's no way we can go to Delaware, Ohio. And so we, uh, Brother Alden asked us to come and be the help at the Bible College. Ohio Bible College was just starting. I was teaching and my wife helped open the daycare and by that she got a license so that she could be, it was in the first times when they were starting daycares. And I'll tell later on, that's how it helped us many times because she was licensed with the state to be a daycare administrator. And uh, we went to Brother Alden one day, said Brother Sharp called me, said he felt that God talked to him and said that you're supposed to be pastor in Delaware, Ohio. And uh, the look on my wife's face was, was something I'll never forget. And so we went to Delaware, Ohio. Everything seemed great, but Sharon said if she looked in, said, nice church, nice steeple, but where's the people? <laughs> the first Sunday I had one lady in the class that was listening to me. I had an elderly man and, a man and he went to sleep. And the older man in the back I knew couldn't hear a thing I was saying. <laughs> but I taught just like I was teaching to a hundred. I did my very best I could and, and on and on it went. And the lady that played the piano and the husband that played the guitar, they got upset with something in her and another lady, they argued back and forth and it's uh, against me at work. They worked the same job and they decided to leave. And I knew that they were the tithe payers and we had a church payment. We had a lot of things and I got quite discouraged and I began to ask God and I was praying and I said, God, what you want me to do? What should I do? And I saw Brother R.G. Cook's face talking to me sternly and I could see his face just talking to me but I couldn't hear a word he was saying and just a few days later he called me and he said, I want you to come preach for me and I went there and I was telling some of the problems. He said, Johnny, if you leave now, the devil will have you running the rest of your life. <laughs> and so I decided I'm going to have to stay. And then I, Brother Roger White, was in, in some problems. And I went over to his house just to talk to him and talk to him a little bit. And I said, why don't you come help us in Delaware? And he came and helped us. And then a lady that we knew, her husband and they moved to, got a job, and she played the piano absolutely beautifully. And uh, on and on, people kept coming, and God answered the prayer. And there, eventually, we had one Sunday, 106 people. But the reason I'm telling you all this is to say that there was a little boy that came to the church uh, one Sunday, and his people were taking care of him. And uh, he came another Sunday, and he came another Sunday, and they found out that he... His, his parents didn't come back after him. And uh, so we went and tried to adopt him because my wife felt, she felt like the Lord said, uh, she had been told by 10 doctors that she could, at least 10, that she'd never have children. And she said, I feel like that's supposed to be my son. And so I thought, well, it sounds good to me. And, but then the parents came back and there was a ruckus and the, then they, found out that he was being mistreated and some of the things, the problems, and, and so they 
called and said, Would you, are you still interested in adopting? And, and, uh, we got, and now I just got a call the other day from my son, Don. He is in management at uh, Johnson Wax Company in Racine, Wisconsin. I was so glad to hear he said, I'm helping the pastor every Sunday. <laughs> and uh, I got a call from Chris. He's my other son. We were, I was a rally leader and uh, Columbus Church was one of the places I was getting ready to go to the rally that night. And this brother and sister Yeager called and they said, we have a little boy. Uh, he's four and a half weeks old and the lady wants an apostolic to be his uh, parents and wondered if you'd be interested. And we went to the rally, picked up Chris and, and took him home with us that night. <laughs> and uh, when they went toward the court case, the judge was one familiar with our circumstances because of the church and so on. And uh, the same lady that had fought for us to have Don was there and she says, this man just lost his job. My plan had closed. And on and on she was against it. And the old judge put his hammer down and he said, Oh, Mary, God will provide for this family. <laughs> and so we adopted uh, Christopher. And uh, then so on. Uh, one day Christopher had leukemia and was very, very ill. And the doctor said that there's really little hope that he would is going to survive. But we took him up to the Toledo Medical Clinic and uh, that's when suddenly uh, the doctor came in and she says, we don't know what's happened, but he, all his blood work comes back perfectly normal. <laughs> I, I can hear my wife say it yet. She said, I know who did it. My God healed him. And I am saying all of this to say that you must Turn your life over to Jesus. That cake that's not turned is just doughy on top and burnt on the bottom. And there's so many people that can't figure out why their life is in so much of a turmoil. And all they need to do would be to turn it over to Jesus. If you turn your life over to Jesus, He works out all kinds of situations and circumstances in unbelievable ways. Hallelujah. And when Brother Cook finally began to talk to me. I heard what he said, and I obeyed. He said, oh no, you don't go to the valley of oh no. The work of God is too important. Amen. Sometimes we get listened to the enemy, and we listen and are fooled by the enemy, but if we'll hear carefully the voice of God, he will tell us, Hallelujah, exactly what we need to do and when we need to do it. I believe in his direction, don't you? He's the shepherd. Praise God. Well, we, I was in Springfield and we helped to start a daycare there. And we went to Upper Sandusky and assisted there. And then a call came. I was pretty discouraged and pretty upset with the situation. My wife was very upset. Christopher was not doing too well in the daycare. My wife was trying to handle all of it. Anyway, the guy came to me, it was just as I was praying, say, I said, God, I will go anywhere. <laughs> this somehow solve this situation. And the usher came to me in the church and said, you have a phone call, Brother Reagan. I said, what? Phone call? I went back, 
it was pastor in defiance and he said I feel like God talked to me he wants you to come to defiance the important thing was that it needed a daycare because that's how the church was supported the penalty payment again very few people a church payment bad situation but the daycare both Sharon and I worked in that daycare and then there a whole group of Spanish people started coming and uh, we had uh, one Sunday people came all the way from Nicaragua and I was when I first was called to preach brother Winifred Black had preached and said what if John Reagan would become a rock and roll singer and why he said that I'm not no but when he said that because I was all involved in music in high school and music musicals and all kind of thing and suddenly he was talking about how Elvis was a Pentecost and so on and so forth I saw a vision and I saw I was preaching to a bunch of Spanish people and I never could figure out what the vision was but when I looked at these people coming from Nicaragua and all this place, I looked out and there they were God had brought the whole thing to pass and I'm thankful for his guidance aren't you I know I can't go somewhere else except where God wants me to go. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for my wife. She's a precious saint of God. I'm so grateful. I got to tell you how. And uh, Sharon was very, just listen to this lady that's testifying to her, worked in the daycare and telling how she wasn't able to have a child, but she was going to have a child. And Sharon went home, prayed. She called me up. She said, I'm going to be late. She said, God just told me I'm pregnant. I said, oh, no. <laughs> oh, how's this going to work out? And she said, I'm going to the doctor right now. She went to the doctor, and the doctor told her she was. And they called on the phone, and uh, I was there when they told her. And she started screaming. They thought because she was 30, <laughs> over 30 years old that she was upset because she was having a child. But she was upset <laughs> because she was having a child, not, not in the way, of, but it was positive. She was so thrilled. And Anne is that precious miracle that is such a blessing to me. And Shane, I appreciate him so much. I appreciate their kids. I, I'm thankful for how God has left me, allowed me to be led by his spirit. Hallelujah. I could never thank him enough for all he has done. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus. This song has been, just came to my mind, and I, I don't think I can sing it, but I'm going to try just, just quickly. Would you live for Jesus? Would you have him make you free and follow at his call? Would you know the peace that comes by giving all? Would you have him save you so that you need never fall? Let him have his way with thee. His power can make you what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. His love can fill your soul and you will see. It was best for him to have his way with thee. All of our young men, and we're going to hear from many of them, several of them tonight, or some of them, not many of them, but some of them. But I, 
all of you, whether young or old, have a great examples, and, and uh, we're glad. My dad is here, been here for a little over a year, and uh, I'm thankful he could be with us today and has been here for the last over a year. Came before COVID, and then uh, that's it. COVID happened for this show strength. Come. Praise God and happy Father's Day, especially to, uh, well, all the men but uh, that are here. God bless you, but especially fathers, because this is Father's Day and uh, Lord uh, bless you especially. I appreciate uh, what I have heard, uh, <coughs> praise God, from these wonderful brothers. And uh, I just really could say ditto and sit down uh, because uh, very good. But I want to, uh, I read this and I'm not much on statistics and in fact, I don't like them uh, and percentages and all that. But I read this the other day and it did something to me. 63% of youth suicides come from a fatherless home. 70% of juveniles in state institution come from a fatherless home. 71% of teenage dropouts come from a fatherless home. 75% of the youth in drug abuse centers come from a fatherless home. 80% of convicted rapists come from a fatherless home. 85% that have uh, or exhibit uh, uh, behavioral uh, disorders come from a father's fatherless home. 85% of the youngsters in our prisons today come from a fatherless home. These are facts, percentages for today. I don't know if they, what they were in the 40s and the 50s when I was a teenager. I'm sure similar. But I came from a fatherless home. My father left when I was five years old. My parents divorced, he was alcoholic. I had one sister that was one. I had four sisters that were older and one brother who was the oldest. My brother, I was told this later and found out, became part of these statistics that I read to you. He ended up in a reform school as a teen, and then he ended up in a state institution as he got older, behavioral problems, disorders. And 
I, the Sunday school bus picked my sisters and I up, brought us to Sunday school. That was our connection to church. And then we were having a revival. I was 13 years old. Eight years I lived in a fatherless home. 13. Some individuals came by and invited me to a revival service. And I asked my mom, can I go? My cousin and I lived just a few blocks from me. He said, well, let's go. So we took the invitation and we, we came. I was 13. An invitation was given to sinners to come to an altar. I came to an altar. I said, well, I'm one. My cousin said, we're just kids. We're not sinners. I said, well, but he said, come and ask the Lord to forgive you. So I came down and knelt. And uh, that night, God touched me as I wept and prayed and asked God to forgive me all my childhood sins, 13. And they said, are you ready to be baptized? I said, yes. They baptized me in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. A few months later, God filled me with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And guess what? The church. I want to tell you, men, how important the church is. The church became my father. The pastor became my father. Elders became my fathers. Yes, from a fatherless home, but all of a sudden at 13, I had fathers all around me that supported me and gave me strength, lifted me up. And when I was in high school and I felt that weight that maybe I ought to change and go another direction, kneeling down in a corner church, I felt a, well, my pastor was kind of chubby, Brother Norris. He had a big old chubby hand, we used to say. And I felt that chubby hand on me and I knelt down. I was saying, oh God, should I continue on? This is getting rough. And I felt that hand saying, son, hold on. And I knew, I heard the voice and I felt that hand. I knew it was my pastor saying, hold on to God. God's gonna bring you through. You're gonna make it. Thank God, listen. Let me tell you, wherever you come from, thank God, how important the church is. Thank God, every man, thank God, the pastor, elders, all fit into my life. Thank God. That's why I spent, thank God, 64 years in the ministry is because God, thank God, blessed me through the church, through the body, through the elders. And then I became a father. And uh, I felt the duties and responsibilities because I knew my, of my past. And uh, I found out first 
I had to become a priest. Job, doesn't, the Bible doesn't say that he was a priest, but he offered sacrifices, burnt offerings for his children. And I found out I had to become a priest in my family. And a priest has a few duties. The first duty of the priest is to intercede, is to pray. Pray for his family, pray for his children, pray for his wife, pray, especially pray for his family. That's the first duty of the priest is to intercede, to be an intercessor. I'm glad that I found out Jesus is our high priest and he intercedes for me, for you, for each one of us. In fact, he told Simon Peter, Simon, I prayed for you. Satan's desire to sift you, but I have prayed for you. So the first duty I found out was I had to learn how to pray, especially for my family. Ask God to help them, bless them. And the second duty, I had to be an instructor. I had to teach. I had to say, this is the word of God. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says, diligently teach your children the word of God. So I found out I not only had to be an intercessor and pray, I had to teach. And then I had to be an example. Uzziah was the king of Judah, and I think it was 16 years old he assumed that leadership. But the Bible said he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, like his father did right in the eyes of the Lord. Maybe not perfect, but he did right. So he followed that example. So I thought, Lord, I have to be an example. I have to be faithful. I have to live for you. I have to be part, thank God, of the body. I have to have that example for my family, for my son, my wife. I have to be that example. And the last one, I have, the fourth duty of that priest is to be a leader. Somehow, you have to say, this is the way we go. This is what we do. Thank the Lord. I appreciate, and I, and I, I want to emphasize, the value of the church. I'm here today, thank God, because of the body of Christ, the church the people, the elders, and God that strengthened me. I know we'll say, well, your pastor was spiritual, but he was physical. He was tangible. I could touch him. I could listen to him. He could touch me. Thank God, the church is something physical. I can be here. Thank God, it's not only spiritual, but it's physical. Folks, we need the church. We need the body of Christ. Thank God. And I, when I saw this wonderful family up here today in this dedication of this child, I thought, oh God, how wonderful. 
Thank God. The support as they lined up all across here. Thank God. This baby in the pastor's arm. Thank God. What a, what a support system. That's the church. That's the body. That's the people, thank God, that are part of the church. I need the church. I need the body of Christ. I need the elders. Thank God. Praise God. I know, I know where I, I came from, and I'm only here because I one day met the Lord, baptized in his name, filled with his spirit. Thank God. That's why I'm here today. And if I can be anything, thank God, I want to be like uh, the prodigal son who left. I want to be the dad that's out every day waiting for that son to come back. I want to be the dad in waiting. Thank God he's coming home. He's going to be there. Thank God I'm going to look every day. Praise God. God has been so good to us and our family. I thank him for every blessing. Thank God I'm here. I'm able to be here with these wonderful elders. Thank God they mean a lot to me. In Jesus' name, amen. I want all of our men and fathers, grandfathers to stand. Brother Larry, if you will. And in fact, I... I'm okay if they feel comfortable, if they want to come line up across the front. We want to honor all of these men today. I have a pin for them. And it's got the name of the church on it. Because the church is supposed to be our mother and father. So if you don't have a father, Find one of these men that spoke. Find one of these men that are standing here. Turn around. I want all of you to face all of our men, whether you're a father or not. I want you to come. If you feel comfortable to come, 